Don't be embarrassed. It's about love of food, and I know that you love food as much as I do. To the point, though, this is going to be difficult getting to the point. It's not my specialty. Oh, what's this? Sorry, getting distracted again. I just talked a couple hours ago with Melissa Kesterson, and I'd like to introduce you to her right now. We just spoke a couple hours ago in Star Cafe in Ann Arbor, and uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to my friend Melissa Kesterman. I'm the executive director for Project Grow. And Project Grow begins with gardens, but it goes a lot of other places too, right? Right. So we are the we are the uh, we're the community gardens in, in the Ann Arbor area. We've been around for nearly 40 years, and. Um, Education is also a big part of our mission as well. So we do an organic gardener certification program with Washtenaw Community College, and we offer many different classes, partnering with different organizations and then just um, on our own as well. So those classes vary from an heirloom gardening series to beekeeping um, to we did a hoop house class this year. Edible Estates with Fritz Haig came in. So um, education is a big part of what we do, and inspiration is another part of our mission as well. So uh, to that end, we also have a few other programs that we have started. This year we started a program with Avalon Housing called Edible Estates, um, which is where we're just um, going, uh, partnering with Avalon. And we're Avalon? Avalon Housing um, creates and maintains housing. I don't know their exact mission. so um, But it creates and maintains housing for people who would otherwise be homeless. And oftentimes it's my understanding that they're dealing with people who are dealing with substance abuse issues or mental health issues, though not always, but often. So what we have done is we've partnered with them to create, um, and food gathers as well as part of this partnership, to create um, raised plot gardening at five of their um, housing um, places around town for this season. We'd like to see next year have there be even more, you know, of these raised plots, but this all stemmed from a study that was done by food gatherers, to, and they found that um, for people um, who were in need of food, that finding uh, local or just, I take that back, just f even fresh fruits and vegetables was uh, not something that they had an option. They usually weren't uh, able to find that. And so this was one of the things that Food Gathers did was to partner with us and Avalon because a lot of their clients, Food Gathers clients, are also Avalon housing clients. So, and then one other thing that we've done is a go gardening program. We've been have we've had that for a number of years now, which is working with kids uh, in the summertime. It's kind of a camp to get them gardening, and uh, we're doing that right now just with Mitchell School. But we're working with Title One kids who really probably shouldn't take the summer off for science and math and working with them to integrate the garden and that experience um, into uh, working on those things that they need to work on from an academic standpoint. Now, what is Title One? I believe Title One is uh, money that's allocated for kids who um, need extra help. I, I don't know exactly, but I believe it might have a socioeconomic component as well. Correct. I don't think that the program would be limited to that, and certainly if we were to take it to other schools, we wouldn't limit it to just that. But in this particular situation, those are the kids that we're working with. And so you do all kinds of things, and but like everybody else, we're facing a bit of a difficult economic climate. So how is that affecting you, and what are your thoughts on that? Ironically, the, um, the economic climate... <laughs> 
it, it certainly it does affect us in that we're a nonprofit and that it affects every nonprofit. But we are um, we're seeing such an ascendancy and awareness of um, local food and fresh food and um, organic, which you know Project Grow all of our organic all of our gardening is done organically. We ask all of our gardeners to garden organically. And uh, so there's such an awareness with that right now that we're seeing this huge demand. So it's really an irony that the budget is being cut. Um, our budget isn't being cut. The city of Ann Arbor's budget is being cut. We're being cut from funding from the city of Ann Arbor and maybe from the county. We don't know yet. Yet the demand is through the roof. We cannot even accommodate. We have waiting lists of people. We had more people to our classes than ever in my tenure with Project Grow. So that's so that's an irony and we need to learn and figure out how best to, you know, work with that growth. And so you have the classes with more people in them. You have more people uh, taking advantage of your garden space to make their own food and they give you the fees for these things and that helps Project Grow to do more things. Correct. That is part of our fee structure is uh, we do ask that gardeners pay a plot fee so they're basically renting the plot for the gardening season. So in return we give administrative oversight, we have insurance on the sites, we do water hoses, some tools um, and obviously we plow it. Uh, the gardens that need to be plowed we plow in the spring we plow again in the fall. That varies a little bit from site to site. But uh, yes, that is a, a big part of our budget is the garden fees. We also, like any other nonprofit, do our fundraising. So we have our events. We have a Harvest Hoot Nanny coming up in the fall, which is where it's, we do it with um, Zingerman's Roadhouse. And we grow, a lot of our gardeners grow and then donate food. And Chef Alex from Zingerman's Roadhouse also donates his time and his food and his expertise and it's it's really quite it's a, quite a fun thing and then um, let's see what are some of the unf you know we do the the regular appeal letter and that kind of thing What's that? you know how uh, most uh, fundraisers uh, that most nonprofits would do a couple of years a couple times a year we'll do an appeal letter taking donations that kind of thing okay. and uh, what are you looking for in the future it looks like Actually, the summer's coming up. There's lots of food popping up everywhere, and there's lots of places you can make food pop up. So what are you looking for in the future? We would like to have more garden sites around town. I mean, um, this year I'm up to 14 community garden sites around town. So um, we would like to see that. We would like to see the number of gardeners continue to grow. It saddens me that I can't place everybody who has applied for us this year. Um, but I have some sites that have a few spaces available. And uh, that's Airport and Mathi Botanical Gardens. We have a garden out there. And so those are two sites I can still place people. But I would like to see see more community gardens that we can put up and we're, we're definitely seeing a trend where many people want to be in their neighborhood so our gardens are starting to be in general smaller in size but they're more neighborhood they're very neighborhood driven so people can ride their bikes or take their wagons um, that kind of thing um, we as an organization as I said we need to capitalize on this awareness and we need to, to grow and so we need to think about how can we grow as an organization and start doing some visioning about that I feel like in the time that I've been with Project Grow that we've definitely seen uh, an awareness and now it's you know it's nationwide a growing awareness so I feel good about that. I feel like, I, you know what I hope is that it doesn't, I hope it's not just a trend. 
I hope that it continues to be because it's a really it's a really wonderful thing and, and the other the other thing that it grows and builds is community so people that were maybe neighbors but didn't know each other now they're outside of their houses and they're with each other I know that you feel better when you send us in your letter and tell us the name of your your favorite vegetable. And so the Beach Boys fade off into the sunset, which isn't coming for another three hours, so it's hard to explain. This is Pandora's Lunchbox, and we've been listening to Melissa Kesterson of Project Grow. And again, as she mentioned, there are some garden plots available. You can find out about it at projectgrowgardens.org. Mathai Botanical Gardens and Airport Area have some gardens available. So here we are. Vegetables Growing Everywhere, the Beach Boys singing about vegetables. That may be their greatest song with vegetables in the title. And we've got a lot of things to talk about on today's show about food, which is coincidentally this one. The connections between Keith Richards and Shepherd's Pie being one of them. The connections between Jack London and Bacon. These are all very important. We're going to have a guest commentary. Actually, that's going to be fun. So in the meantime, we've got Anna Russell. This is about a habanera, and it's about a hoedown, and it's called the Habanera Hoedown. Everybody swing and everybody dance. <laughs> swing that gal with a hole in her stocking and her knees, keep her neck in her petticoat a flopping. Swing your partner all around, your left hand lady. See, saw your pretty little toy and a man left with a corner made and promenade. With a horn a go and a dosi do, and what you're doing, I don't know. With a dosi lady and a dosi gent, here comes the landlord, pay the rent. Now get hot with an alaman left and with your partner, alaman all. I'll kick you, you kick me, we'll kick grandpa around the hall. Circle four, four hands around. If you're getting too fat, you can lose ten pounds. Circle four and keep the beat with a clip, clap, clop with your big flat feet. Duck for the oyster, dive for the clam, duck for the hole in the old tin can. Swing your partner in the same old track. If I don't stop soon, I have a heart attack. Large partner, keep your head. Wave the corner, drop down dead. I promenade home and I I don't doubt you can find someone else because I'm all wore out. Oh my, oh my, oh my. That's Anna Russell and Habanera Hoedown. Yes, that's right. That is from the album Guide to Concert Audiences. That was Anna Russell. 
Did you know that? This is Pandora's Lunchbox, a show about food and other things. We have some important food items to let you know about before we play some more songs about food. And, okay, here we go. First of all, this is about a topless coffee shop in Maine. This is in Vassalboro, Maine. A topless coffee shop in Maine has been gutted by fire. The blaze was reported at about 1 a.m. Wednesday at the Grand View Topless Coffee Shop in Vassalboro, just north of Augusta, Maine. Owner Donald Crabtree says he lost his home and business in the fire and that he had no insurance. The state fire marshal's office is trying to determine the cause. The shop featured topless waitresses and waiters serving coffee and donuts. The fire happened only hours after Crabtree met with town planners to discuss making it more like a strip club with longer hours and dancing. The shop raised the ire of dozens of residents when it initially went before the town planning board. Someone recently called police to complain that a waitress was outside the business without a shirt on. This is the news from Vassalboro, Maine. You're listening to Pandora's Lunchbox. And here is another news item here, this one from Washington from the Associated Press. It does a number uh, it does a number on researchers boots and smells really bad, but the fact that penguin poo on and, and uh, you know what? You know what? The fact that penguin poo on Antarctic ice can be spotted from space is helping researchers. Let's take this sentence again and work on our diction. Penguin poo on Antarctic ice can be spotted from space helping researchers. How do you feel? In an area about one and a half times bigger than the United States, researchers have been unable to figure out just where colonies of emperor penguins live and if their population is in peril. But because the large penguins stay on the same ice for months, their poo stains make them stand out from space. And again, another diction lesson. Poo stains make them stand out from space. Again, poo stains make them stand out from space. Scientists at the British Antarctic Survey found this out by accident when they were looking at satellite images of their bases. Survey mapping scientist Peter Fretwell was fretting well over it when he said that using satellite data, the scientists found 10 new colonies of penguins, six that had moved and another six that seemed to have disappeared. Penguins from Space is in the journal Global Ecology and Biogeography. And again, let's get back to that first sentence for our diction lesson. Penguin poo on Antarctic ice can be spotted from space helping researchers. This is Pandora's Lunchbox. I am Mike. There's not much I can do about it, but I can hit this button. Tending my fruit, tending my fruit Ah, you've got to have a hobby A man must have a shed to keep him sane Spraying my butts, spraying my butts Got to keep away diseases
This is Pandora's lunch box. It's not as easy when you don't have the high-tech equipment, but that was XTC and Fruit Nut from the album Apple Venus. I think he was talking about uh, mixing up the poisons and keeping things out. I, You know, I know some people would probably say, oh, bad, bad poisons. Well, you know, he might have been like metaphorical and stuff, you know, like metaphorical and stuff. So that's what I'm thinking. Anyway, this is Pandora's Lunchbox. I need to talk to you right now about Keith Richards and Shepherd's Pie. This is a very important article I found on a website, which means it's true. It's also written by a fellow named Dave Rumor. <laughs> Dave Rumor, so you know it has to be true. He apparently has a blog called Snap, Crackle, and Pop. So Keith Richards. In his near 40-year career as rock and roll's greatest guitar gunslinger, Keith Richards has been addicted to many substances— one can only imagine the unholy reaction should you cross him and make a dash for that bulging, dangerous stash from under his twitching nostrils. What is he saying? Well, today it has emerged that there is one thing that he is more protective over than the many forms of dope still shooting around his system, namely shepherd's pie. Yes, former Stereophonics drummer Stuart Cable has detailed a near-death experience while supporting the Rolling Stones on a European tour when he helped himself to a portion backstage. In his autobiography, Demons and Cocktails, he explained, I whacked several hefty spoonfuls onto my plate. Mick Jagger came in and spot stopped in his tracks and the pleasantness suddenly left his face. He said, who's eating that? He said, do you, do you know the rules? You never, ever take the shepherd's pie unless Keith's broken the crust first. He twirled on his heels and said jokingly, Enjoy the show, boys. If there will be a show, I'm not sure if he'll go on after this. At least I thought it was a joke, explained Cable. Apparently the pie was swiftly remade by kitchen staff and the concert went ahead. But that didn't stop Richards confronting the dismally coiffured coiffured drummer. We're going to go with the diction thing again in just a second. Later that night, we were invited to play pool with them, continued Cable. Suddenly, Keith stopped the game in mid-stroke. The lines on his face were more prominent than normal. Then he potted the yellow, then he potted the yellow, again diction, potted the yellow, placed his cue down and wandered over to me, a joint dangling on the edge of his lips. You ate my shepherd's pie, didn't you? He whispered. Previously, the Stones' former manager, Nick Cohen, has claimed in his own book that Keith was once sent into an apoplectic, vodka-fueled rage after spotting teeth marks on a different pie, firing the group's head of security and tour manager as a result. And that's rock and roll. Yeah. This is Pandora's Lunchbox. I've been Mike for a while. And would you have shepherd pie for breakfast? Or shepherds? Multiple? Plural? Singular? I don't know.
Settle now. Settle. Okay, that was Poi Dog pondering. There's really no reason I went from talking about shepherd's pie. Thank you, by the way, to the person who called and confirmed that it was, in fact, shepherd's pie, plural, and not shepherd pie. A shepherd pie would probably be a very lonely pie, but shepherd's pie, no, that's that's a team. And yes, that was Poi Dog Pondering, which had nothing to do with shepherd's pie. And that was a tune called Postcard from a Dream, subtitled Toast and Jelly. I played the last two minutes of it, which was all about breakfast, which is not going to be for a while yet. This has been Pandora's Lunchbox. I've been Mike for a while. But coming up, it's Arwolf with Face the Music. He's getting all of that stuff ready for us right now as we speak. But I'd like to take a moment just to hear from a guest commentator. Uh, Kyle Norris is a public radio announcer in the area and also does freelance things and stuff. And if I can get this pesky CD player to do what I want it to do, we're going to hear from Kyle Norris right now. As a matter of fact, here's the thing. There is a spoiler alert here because she talks about a Jack London book and she talks about something that happens in the book that you might not know unless you read it and you might not know unless you get later in the book. So this is a spoiler alert. If you don't want to be spoiled... Don't sit out in the sun too long and come back in four minutes. Otherwise, here's uh, Kyle Norris. Every year all over America, kids have to read this short story. It's called To Build a Fire. It's written by Jack London. Total classic. It's about this explorer in the Yukon who basically makes a bad decision and freezes to death. So the story's all rich on plot and character and setting, which is probably why they make all the kids read it. But when I was a kid, I could have cared less about plot. I cared about how I looked. I cared about what people thought of me. And I cared about the onion-flavored potato chips and the gooey prepackaged brownies I was going to have for lunch. So back then, my English teacher was a guy named Mr. Hall. He was super tall and lanky, and he had a tall and lanky beard. And I swear the only thing that man wore was corduroy. When he assigned our class to read the story, everybody in the room moaned. That night, I snuggled down in my bed and cracked open my anthology. After reading a few paragraphs, I got the gist of the story. Guy and his dog are out hiking. It's really cold out. He needs to build a fire or he's going to freeze to death. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, the whole thing sounded like a dumb idea to me. I could not relate. And then I read something that would change my life forever. It went like this. As for lunch, he pressed his hand against the protruding bundle under his jacket. It was also under his shirt, wrapped up in a handkerchief and lying against the naked skin. It was the only way to keep the biscuits from freezing. He smiled agreeably to himself as he thought of those biscuits, each cut open and sopped in bacon grease, and each enclosing a generous slice of fried bacon. Seriously? My world shattered. A jolt rushed through my body, like the way you feel the first time you fall in love. I mean, I got it. I understood bacon. My mom would cook it on the weekends. The smell of bacon would mix with the smell of her coffee and drift upstairs and wake me in my bed. I loved those smells, and I loved the taste of bacon, all smoky and salty. I knew something about biscuits, too, because we had them every time that we went to KFC. I liked to slather mine in butter and then drizzle honey over the top. During the next week, our class studied the story, and everywhere I went, the bacon and the biscuit basically took up all my headspace. As I weaved through the crowded hallways of my junior high, I'd press my hand against my chest to touch an imaginary biscuit. When Mr. Hall launched into fancy monologues about plot, I'd be daydreaming about little dancing biscuits. They had on those little top hats and were dancing in a chorus line with little canes. They were singing this cute little biscuit song. Eventually, I looked around and I talked to my friends, 
and I realized no one was as obsessed as I was. They weren't even, like, kind of consumed with this whole food thing. I didn't know it then, but food would go on to be a really big thing in my life. Food would become something I would love to talk about and write about and think about and eat. And Jack London's little paragraph was the first spark of my food love that I ever felt. In the short story, the bacon and the biscuit are like the thing that keeps the guy going. Sort of like a bacon biscuit beacon of hope. And when I think of the story now, the bacon and the biscuit are like the biggest part. So for kicks the other day, I went to the library, checked out the story, and I read it. So it turns out after that paragraph, food is like never mentioned again. But in my head, the story doesn't have anything to do with this guy freezing to death. Although that's kind of an interesting story, but that's another thing. It has everything to do with a few slices of bacon and a little biscuit. And how food can be hope and energy. And how it can push you forward into your life. Thank you, Kyle Norris. Kyle Norris is a public radio announcer and also a freelance writer and contributor to food in the world. I've been Mike. This has been Pandora's Lunchbox for at least as long. Coming up next, our wolf will help you to face the music. But first of all, a quick note. An animal rights group wants to use two lighthouses along Lake Michigan and Grand Haven to publicize what it says are the horrors of killing fish for food and sport. People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals say it sent a letter Wednesday to the National Park Service saying the lighthouses could, could, could serve as the headquarters for its fish empathy project. Norfolk, Virginia-based PETA says its plan calls for educational displays and a cafe serving items such as fake fish sticks. PETA in 2007 proposed, proposed using a, a lighthouse in Fairfield, Connecticut for a similar effort. And there you have it, Pandora's Lunchbox. We're going to wrap up with a song to get the last vestiges of swine flu out of the state. This is not bacon. This is swine. And this is Elvis Costello and the Brodsky. I'm going to say quartet. Is it quartet? Yes, Elvis Costello and the Brodsky Quartet. This is swine. This is Pandora's Lunchbox and WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Coming up, Arwolf will help you to face the music. Thank you. That didn't work. <laughs> here we go. Let's try this. Wait, here we go. And coming up, it's Face the Music with Arwolf, and that's going to start in just a moment. Here we go, smoothly segueing to the next thing. Thank you. And that didn't work either. Okay, we're going to try this one more time. The CD player is finicky today, but I would like it to play a particular song called Swine by Elvis Costello and the Brodsky Quartet. And wait, let me get this music going again. Here we go. And, uh, yeah, here we go. WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Okay, let's talk about something else for a second. This is the smoothest ending to a show that I think I've ever had on WCBN. Uh, we're not going to play anything by Elvis Costello at the end of the show. You're not going to hear a thing because the CD player has decided that it's too scared of swine flu to play a song called Swine. So, actually, let's try this. Here we go. Got something going here? This is WCBN, and thank you. Thank you. 